Um, ooh, sorry, Ryan. I'm sorry about that. Um, hey, uh, I'm excited to get into the Word with you guys. This week kind of feels weird. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, there were, there were a lot of things that were kind of playing against um, my time to prepare and get ready. And so um, I'm gonna, we're going to pray here in a minute, and I'm going to ask for extra help. Um, but it just feels like with the movie night and the leadership thing I had yesterday morning and the membership lunch that's uh, after services today um, and, and everything else, uh, driving the trailer down, I just feel like I'm a little bit... Um, scattered. And it reminds me of a wedding that I ruined where, you know, weddings, you have to have all these different elements included and people want things to happen and they give you kind of direction and everything. And uh, there was a wedding where I didn't prepare well enough for it. And, and I skipped um, a lot of the portions of the wedding and uh, ruined it. And it feels like this morning, it feels like that morning. Um, so I'm going to pray for help after we read the text. Go ahead and grab a Bible and get with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Uh, that would be on page 823 in the Bibles that we have here, um, 823. And I want to read the, the, the text with you, and then we'll pray and we'll get after it. Um, we're finishing up our Thrive series. Uh, one of the reasons why this was a, an awkward week for me was because our Thrive series, we've been going through the book of, of Mark and looking at these different um, situations there in the book of Mark and using that kind of as the as the framework for talking about this series. And then David threw me a curveball and he said, uh, we're not doing Mark on this one. And he went in a different direction. And, and, um, and he basically said, eh, just do whatever you want at the nine o'clock. And so I just felt like, I don't know what I want to do at the nine o'clock. And that's one of the reasons why um, th this was challenging. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. And I want to read a pretty lengthy section of scripture with you, starting in verse one. So let's go ahead and do that. And then we'll pray and we'll get after it. All right, Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went in and found a colt inside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? 
The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now for you to speak to each of us. And we pray, Lord, with gratefulness that we can look at the Bible and that we know that you want to communicate to your people. And so that's what we're eager for. And we pray this morning um, for extra help, God. We pray that you would be honored with the time that we have, that you would, would use this time to, to speak to each of our hearts and to let us know that this is your doing, that you, by your own voice, God, are, are making um, new things happen. Change us, Lord, to be your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I, I picked a, bi- a big chunk of scripture and you might go, what's, what's the deal, dude? You, you're, you're touching on like all these different things, but I'll show you how related they are to one another in just a minute. We're going to talk about the Messiah. We're going to talk about his judgment and we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow in the way of the Messiah. So the Messiah is Jesus himself and he arrives on the scene at the beginning. And if you recall, if you've been coming here uh, the last few weeks, we, we keep seeing these stories from the book of Mark where Jesus does something significant and people rightly identify him. You are the king, you're the Messiah. And he, he affirms that, but then he tells them, be quiet, it's not time yet. And he keeps um, kind of pushing off that, that public announcement of his kingship. And here, for the very first time in the book of Mark, and in his ministry, he begins to make public the reality that he understands his identity, he is the Messiah, and he is now showing people that he understands himself to be that. So now he's coming into the city, and he tells his disciples, go and fetch a donkey, and I'm going to ride the donkey into the city. Now that's kind of weird, right? They go in, they find a, a, a colt sitting there, it's tied up, He gives them instructions, untie the the donkey. If anyone is asking about it, you just tell them the Lord needs it. He will return it shortly. But here's what he's doing. He is fulfilling a prophetic expectation. Earlier in the Bible, there were people who said, this is what the Messiah will do. He will ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Jesus is recognizing his, his identity as the Messiah and he is fulfilling it. He's making arrangements so that everyone who sees him coming into the city will know the Messiah has come. So the disciples go, they find the donkey and they bring it to him and he begins to to ride it in. And he then is fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. This is what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on on a colt, the foul of a donkey. So he recognizes this is who I am. I'm the Messiah. And now I am going to march into the city riding on the back of this donkey so that everyone will know here's who I am. And as he fulfills that, a part of what's going on is he's, he's helping them to recognize if he's the king, he's going to operate on a different wavelength. Most of us think kings should show up with all kinds of, you know, 
you know, acclamations, everyone's kind of doing this thing, they're kind of showing off their power and their glory, but he comes in not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And he comes in in this way that really is a humble approach. And he's showing people that the donkey's a symbol of peace. And he's just coming in and, and they're expecting the king to come in and to flex his sovereignty and to show them how powerful and mighty he is. But he comes in on a donkey and he's declaring, this is now a season of peace. He's going to do something that's going to institute peace. But, but they're expecting that he's going to come in and, 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 and be mighty and be strong and, and destroy the enemies of the people of God and give them victory and free them from oppression. But he comes in and, and he's doing all of these different things to kind of point this reality that he is the humble servant king. He's the Messiah, but he's coming in this way that is lowly and, and humble. And the people worship him. They begin saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're, they're, they're announcing, we understand what's going on here. We're laying down palm branches and we're recognizing the king has come and we're, we're expecting of what this is going to mean. And all of this is really just helping us understand that Jesus is trying to identify himself as the Messiah coming as the humble king. And then he takes inventory. He, in verse 11, he goes in and he looks around. All right, he's the king and everyone's worshiping him and, and, and they're recognizing the Messiah has come and the Messiah comes into Jerusalem and he goes in and he just kind of looks around and, and he says, you know, he's looking at everything, kind of evaluating, going, okay, what's, what's going on here? But it's late, so then he pieces out and he goes home with, with the guys and they stay overnight in, in Bethany. And so what we're finding then is that the Messiah has come and, and the expectations are heightened. I mean, everyone is excited. This is going to be a game changer in all of history. The Messiah, the King of the Jews has arrived and he shows up and very deliberately looks around and game plans for what he wants to do next. So that's the first point that I want to make. The Messiah has come and we would do well to reflect on that, to, to think about who Jesus is, to think about how he's a humble King, to think about how he's a servant King and to worship him appropriately. But then what happens next is we move into this section where we see the king declaring judgment on the people and the temple and the land. And it's weird because the first little story, I don't know if you've ever read this before, but the first little incident there is very confusing. He, he's traveling now and he's walking and he sees a fig tree and he is, he's hungry. So he goes to that fig tree and there's no fruit on it. So he curses the fig tree. You will never produce any fruit ever again. No one's ever going to eat fruit from you. And if we, most of us will read that story and we kind of scratch our heads and go, what on earth is going on? This dude is like, he's acting like a preteen, you know, like when there's not food in the cupboard and, and you, you know, you're just angry at everything. Like, hey, I'm just hungry. I hate all of this. Curse all of you guys. And, and we read a story like that and we go, this is so out of step with his character. What is he doing here? Why is, is he just reacting to, he's hungry and he's hangry and he's just looking at a tree going, if you're not going to give me fruit, then, then you're done. Okay, what's, what's going on here? This is a confusing passage, right? Or am I alone in this? I read this and I go, I have no idea what's happening. So, so let me just think with you about how to interpret something like this. When we bump into a section of scripture that confuses us, it's important to just sit with it for a little bit and ask some questions. What's happening here? What is Jesus trying to show us? What is he trying to communicate to us? Is this just a lesson about being hangry or is there something more here? 
And as you look at the story, remember what's going on. He's showing up in Jerusalem declaring that he's the Messiah. And he's looking at the temple and evaluating it. So you can tell everything is calculated. Everything is, he's trying to clearly show what he's thinking and what he's doing. And then this activity happens. And so we just need to ask, okay, what is going on? And then what follows from that? He goes into the temple and he declares curses on it. He, he judges the, the temple and the activities there. So these things aren't irrelated. They're actually meant to be taken together. And what he's doing then is a symbolic act to help us understand his authority and, and the unfruitfulness of the people of God. So we look at it now, and as you think, begin to think about it, the fig tree, if you go, okay, does the Bible give us any more help on this subject? And you start to think, okay, what does the Bible say about fig trees? And if you look in the Old Testament, fig trees are used as a symbol to tell us about the people of God. In Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos, fig trees are, are used to talk about the people of God when they understand their identity and when they're living by faith in their Savior, they are like a fig tree in early blossom. Let me show it to you real quick. It's Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. It says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. He's saying, using symbolism, the people of God, when they relate to their Savior, when they relate properly to their Maker, they are like a fig tree in blossom. But then he goes on to say this, Hosea 9, 10 says, but when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. So the people of God have potential to be like this fruitful tree in their culture. But when they reject their savior, they become unfruitful and only fit really for divine judgment. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. When he's marching toward the temple and he looks at a tree, what he's trying to do is help us understand he is the king who's going to declare his judgment on the unfruitful people. And that's exactly what happens next. He marches into the temple and he begins to turn over tables and he begins to shut down this oppressive system of, of exploiting people and taking their money. And they were marching, the merchants were taking a shortcut through the temple courts. They were kind of coming through the temple courts because if they wanted to get from one side of the building to the other side of the building, it would take a very long time to go around it. And they think, we're just going to go through here. We're going to carry our stuff through here so we can get to the other side more easily and then more quickly make the sales that we want to make. And Jesus looks at all of that and he goes, this is not okay. What's happening in my house is not okay. And he very deliberately begins to show people by his actions, what's happening in the house of God is not right. And I'm here as the king, as the one with authority to declare what is happening here needs to change. It needs to be reformed. It needs to be different. What's happening here is not okay. My house, as it is written, my house should be a house of prayer for the nations. Not this place where people are exploiting a, a, a den of robbers. Not this place where people are taking other people's money and exploiting one another. My house is meant to be a place where the glory of God can be seen and where prayers are made for the nations. The people of God are called to live as, as, as individuals and as a community that's re revealing the holiness of God and his glory. 
The temple should be the place where you walk in and you experience the glory of God and you recognize that the reason why the people have been called to such a privileged status is for the sake of the nations. That's true of the Old Testament people of God. It's true of us. We need to be a people who the things that we do are resounding to the very ends of the earth. We don't just come here and hang out at Harlem High School for our own sake, but everything that we do should have this missional drive to it, that we want to be a certain kind of people and a certain kind of community for the sake of everybody on the face of the planet. We want to live in a way where the glory of God is being communicated in our community, but we also want to organize and strategize so that we could be a part of the mission of God to the very ends of the earth. And he's saying the whole temple system and the way that the people of God are thinking and behaving is out of step with God himself. And so he's declaring judgment on it. The people are unfruitful and therefore they are about to face the wrath of God himself. And that's what Jesus is doing. One commentator puts it like this just to help us kind of wrap our head around it. He said, the fig tree was an image that was often used to depict Israel and his fruitfulness for God. The idea of a barren fig tree would symbolize Israel's fruitlessness and his failures and the necessity of divine judgment. So this was an image that Jesus used to depict God's judgment on those who were not living by faith in him. Okay, that's what we're dealing with here. Jesus is trying to show us we need to be his people living by faith in him and bearing fruit that reflects what that faith is. So we need to be people as a church, we need to be thinking through, okay, how can we bear the fruit of faith? Because we don't just want to come in here and play church. We want for the experience that we have each week to reveal the glory of God, um, to, to be an opportunity to worship the Messiah. We want, we want to recognize that the King has come in, in humility, and everything that we do should be pointing to Him and His glory and helping other people experience that. Some of the lessons that we can learn so far is that when Jesus shows up, He is King, but He often doesn't do what we expect right? The people, they're praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna. The, the, the son of David is here. He's going to establish the kingdom of our father, David. And they expect for this political deliverance. They expect that he's going to come in and he's going to get rid of the, the enemies and the oppression that they're facing. And he's going to reestablish them and give them all of the benefits and all of the freedoms that they expect should be flowing in the direction of the people of God. And he says, yes, I'm king, and yes, I do have authority, but his mission is different. What is he going to do? He's not going to come in and establish his throne by might or through a campaign or through lobbying people to, to rally to him and join him. What does he do? He comes in and he dies for us. He comes in and he says, I'm going to offer my life as a ransom for many. That's the chapter before, verse 45. He says, this is what the Messiah is all about. I'm coming in not to flex my muscles this time, I'm coming in to humbly offer myself as a substitute, as a ransom for my enemies. And he's going to love people to the point of death. He's going to love people enough to say, I will lay down my life to, to gather a people to myself. And the people who are, who are accurately following God are people of faith who believe in him and then begin to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and faith. So the king has come and he is declaring judgment but then look what happens next. He describes to us this way of faith. And, and uh, it, it's that last portion that we read. So they, 
they watch him go kind of berserk in the temple and then they're marching back out and they look and they see the tree that Jesus had a, you know, a little bit earlier had cursed. And Peter goes, look at this tree. You told it that it will never bear fruit again and it's withered from the roots. Like the tree that you spoke to and said, you know, I'm cursing you. You're not going to produce any fruit anymore. Look at it. And Jesus then uses the opportunity to say, what I'm coming to do is not just an institutional change. It's, it happens at a personal level as well. It's, it's pretty wild because think about this. He's talking about how, how the, the temple is a place where prayer ought to happen. And now he takes that idea and he begins to apply it specifically to the disciples. And he goes, you, as a, as a member of my community of faith, you should be praying. So my, my house should be a household of prayer. But then he begins to say, but you should pray. And he takes this as an opportunity to say, have faith in God, verse 22. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. He's saying, you should pray. Jesus is coming to institute change and reform, but he's saying, and that's going to start with you. It's going to start in your own heart. You should be somebody who's praying with faith. Yes, the church, yes, the temple should be a household of prayer for the nations. But where does that start? In my heart. Where does that start? In your heart. Jesus is beginning now to apply it specifically at the individual level. And he's saying people of faith should be asking God and believing that what what we're asking for is actually going to happen because God can make it happen. Just like Jesus was able to say to a tree, you're never producing fruit again. In the same way, disciples of Christ should be able to pray with confidence that what they're bringing before the throne of grace will happen because God is powerful and able and what happens in his name can and will happen. So we should have confidence and we should pray. So here's, here's one of the things that I'm trying to say. Um, it's very easy to look at the church and to be disappointed. It's very easy to look at the church or what the people of God kind of drift into in their sinful habits and to go, the church should be doing this or that. The church should be a house of prayer. The church should be whatever. And Jesus is saying, that's okay to, ha- to hold that tension and to be disappointed, but, but the place where real change is going to happen is at the personal level. So don't go off writing emails, David or Corey or whoever. I'm really disappointed. You should take a mission trip. You should, you should go do this. You should do, we should be doing these different things. Here's what we can do. We can pray. Change is going to happen if we will take up the call to pray with faith. And in fact, it, it ties it not only to what Jesus did with that tree, but then he says, it's important too that if you're holding a grudge, you get that right. It's, it's important that if you're holding a grudge, if you're praying and believing, you should be confident it's going to happen. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. He's saying there's this kingdom principle that's at work that Jesus is coming to die for his enemies. So we should be praying that, that, that we can follow in his footsteps and be willing to forgive other people who don't deserve it. Don't hold a grudge against other people, but make sure that you are setting those things right by offering forgiveness. So, so here's what we're seeing then. The king has come in humility to die for people who are his enemies, who, who don't like him, who hate him, who these guys will ultimately kill him. And he's willing to do that. And he's coming in humility 
And he's coming, obviously, with his dignity because he is the king. He's coming in a way that's surprising because he is doing things that we would not expect for him to do. He's coming and he's declaring his judgment on those who are not living by faith. But then he's inviting us into this way of kingdom lifestyle where we can pray with faith and believe that those things are going to happen. And we can begin to be agents of forgiveness and grace. If we're subjects of the king who dies for his enemies, we need to do the same thing. We need to be people who are showing the world what it looks like that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We actually get to become members of the kingdom who are extending forgiveness and grace to people who don't deserve it. And why do we do that? Because we got grace and we don't deserve it. So we can then pray with confidence that God is going to work and we can pray with, with confidence, but we also have to be forgiving people who are loving others and showing them what the kingdom is really all about. And, and my hope and my prayer is that we would be willing to do that, that we would be a kingdom people following a humble Messiah who is willing to go to a cross for people who don't deserve it. And therefore, we want to be people who are living by faith in him, trusting in him, and walking in his footsteps, looking at other people in our lives who maybe kind of rub us wrong, or, or maybe they think poorly of us, or maybe they're critical of us, but we are not holding a grudge against them. We are extending the love of God to them, offering them forgiveness and grace, just like our King and our Savior has offered us forgiveness and grace. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much that you've given us your word, and uh, your word helps us to know how to live. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our King, and we do cry, Hosanna, you deserve the praise and the accolades, Lord, because you are the king of the world. But the way that you exercised your kingship surprises us. We're, we're so caught up with power and status, and, and, and you kind of rejected that because you were willing to lay down your life for your enemies. So Jesus, help us to follow you. We want to be your kingdom people who are marching around this world, not with our, you know, our chests puffed up, but, but with humility and with love. Help us to walk around extending forgiveness and grace and praying for, for the change that you're bringing about in this world, that you are making all things new, Lord, and we get to be a part of that. Help us to embrace that high calling, to be people of pray, prayer who are praying for the nations. And let us, God, as a church, be a reflection of that glory, a place where your holiness is, where your glory is, and where the, the prayers are being offered up to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray this, please, in your name. Amen.